something that I don't think I've ever done, and that gives you a bird's eye view of, of prophecy in relationship to the believer of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the doctrine of dispensationalism, which not all people hold to the view of dispensationalism, but dispensationalism is in the Bible. Sometimes the question is asked, are you a dispensationalist? And I have to say yes, because it's in the Bible. What a dispensationalist believes is that God has a different program for people of different ages. Not different ages in like, well, you know, for children and for teenagers and for adults, but in different ages in reference to time. For instance, God has a program for those that were before the flood. God has a program for those that were after the flood up until the time of Moses. And then God has a program for those from Moses forward. As we understand, God raises up a nation. That nation is Israel. But then there were those that were not a part of Israel who were saved. They were called Gentiles. And they were referred to as proselytes. But they were still Gentiles. And then God has established a church and he's made promises that are completely separated from Israel and other dispensations that only apply to the church. Not everyone's going to get to be a priest and a king in the, the kingdom of God, but God has promised to the church that they will be made priests and kings. And those that are saved during the tribulation, God has given special promise to them. And those that are saved during the millennial reign of the Lord Jesus Christ, God has something special for them. God has a city that he has prepared, whose builder and maker, as we understand, is God. And that city was prepared for two groups of people, the church and Israel. And God makes it very clear that uh, there are other generations of people from other dispensations that will live outside of that city that will be welcome to come into that city in the eternal kingdom. So when we understand all these things, we can't help but say, wow, we are so privileged to be born in this age. It is certainly, all ages were an age of grace, but this is a tremendous age of grace. And so therefore, <clears throat> we realize that God has set forth this program. God has made it very clear that he's not willing that any should perish, that all men are to be saved. God would have all men to be saved. But not all men are going to have the same privileges. Not all men are going to be able to sit on the throne. Not all men are going to be living inside that new city called Jerusalem. Some will be invited to come in, but not all will go in. But the bride of Christ will be there. 
Not all people will forever be with the Lord Jesus Christ, but they will be able to go into the city and visit with the Lord Jesus Christ. But we are a very special privileged people because we are the bride of Christ. But not all are the bride of Christ. You understand that. Not everyone will be raptured out. But those that are raptured out will be forever with Christ. Those that are saved after the church is raptured out, they are not a part of the bride of Christ. But they are also promised a special place in heaven for their suffering and for their endurance. All of these things we understand is there in the Bible. But uh, I want to focus on uh, the church. And as you notice there, I was <clears throat> uh, so, uh, oh, I'm trying to think of a, a kind word to call myself there, but presumptuous might be a word to put the name Baptist there. Now, I understand that, that it's not only the Baptists that are going to make up the bride of Christ, but I believe that the Baptists are a true part of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. As I believe in uh, what we understand as <clears throat> the, <clears throat> the chain link that takes you all the way back to the one who had founded the church. And our baptism is a baptism that comes from the one who... God had given the baptism to, and that was John the Baptist, or John the Baptizer. We see over in the Gospel of John chapter 1, and I believe verse number 30, that John received the baptism from God. And there were disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ who were baptized by John the Baptist. And then they broke away from John, and they followed Jesus. Jesus Christ then, when he ascended into heaven, gave commission to the church to baptize not in John the Baptist's name, but in his name. But the baptism that Jesus Christ was baptized with was the baptism of John. He was not baptized by Peter. He was not baptized by Andrew. He was baptized by John the Baptist. Because John the Baptist received his baptism from God. So John was the proper administrator to baptize. So when Jesus was ready to be baptized and to fulfill the will of the Heavenly Father, he went to John. He went all the way across the desert, down through the wilderness of Judea to a place there in the Jordan Valley to be baptized of John. John was a humble man. John says, well, you need to baptize me. And Jesus said, no, I need to be baptized of you. Uh, it is the will of my heavenly father. Suffer it to be so. And so John baptized Jesus, even though he understood he was not worthy to be in uh, the same place with Jesus or to stand in his sandals. But though he understood that, Jesus said, suffer it to be so. And when Jesus was baptized of John, the Heavenly Father looked down and he said, This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. 
God was pleased at what Jesus Christ was obeying his heavenly father in doing. And so we understand there's a link there. We understand that baptism is very important. It's not what saves us, but it illustrates uh, our faith in what we believe in because it's a picture. Jesus Christ did not need to be baptized, but he was baptized so we could follow him. And when Jesus made sure to go to the right administrator, we need to make sure to go to the right administrator because we understand that... <clears throat> And that the administrators, the one who has received the authority to baptize, we want to make sure that they got their authority from the right person. And so we realize that there are churches that never received the authority to baptize from the Lord Jesus Christ, but from someone by the name of Constantine. And so Constantine set up a church it was called the state church. It was the Roman state church set up in his name at a place called Constantinople. And later that church became an imperial church that ruled over all of the Roman Empire. And so they decided, well, we shouldn't have our, our <clears throat> headquarters set up here in Constantinople. Let's move it to where it should be in Rome. And so it was placed in Rome. And everyone who is baptized from that church was baptized under a church that does not have the proper authority. And so we, we go, we look to the church by their distinctions. Distinctions are important. And the Baptist churches always carry forth the right distinctions. We follow those distinctions all the way down through the church age. We did a whole segment of that in our theology class on the doctrine of the church. And it's a very good, in fact, what were they? Something like three, I forget now, we had a video where we gave all the Baptist distinctions. But we understand there's what is called perpetuity. And you follow the perpetuity, like the perpetuity of this church. You follow it to Bible Baptist Church in Puyallup, Washington. And then you follow the perpetuity of that church to a place called Riverside Baptist Temple. And then you follow the perpetuity of that church all the way back to a place called Greeley, Colorado. And then you follow the perpetuity of that church and it goes on and on and on until you can no longer follow it because no one... Well, I'm sure there were records, but we get far enough back to where those records were all destroyed because the, there were those that hated any church that would not uh, take part in the Roman Catholic Church. So they would not only come in and uh, burn their buildings, but they would destroy all their records. They would burn all their literature. They wanted to do everything that they could to wipe them out, and that that went on for like 1,500 years. For 1,000 years, it was called the Dark Ages of the Church because the Roman Catholic Church ruled with an iron fist. And uh, they set forth an army. They had their own army. They were called the Crusaders. 
and uh, they would bring even nations under submission. They would, kings would have to come and bow before the popes. They refused to bow before the pope. Sometimes the crusaders would rise up and they would bring them into submission. And there were some really bad popes that called for execution and horrible torture of those that would not comply. And so the church went down through some really dark ages. We have a little booklet that we give out called The Trail of Blood. We have plenty of those if you would like. If you don't have one, you may want to look at that. And so there are those that want to eradicate all the history, and they want to deny. Just like the Holocaust, there are some that say, oh, that never existed. But it did exist, and it's there. But getting back to the doctrine of dispensationalism, we understand, according to the Bible, that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ one day will be raptured out of here. Amen. But the grace of God is not going to be raptured out. And the gospel message and its effectiveness and its power to save the souls of those that are lost during the tribulation period will continue on. And people will continue to be saved. But they will not be in the same program that we are in. I want you to take your Bible and notice in Revelation chapter 1 what the Lord Jesus has to say. In Romans chapter 1, beginning with verse number 5, we read that this is a message from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth. Unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and had made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. So God has not made everyone kings and priests. He's only made those that are part of his church kings and priests. As we read on, he goes on to say in verse number 13 that as he looked for Jesus, as he stood there in the mist, he said, here's what I saw when I turned about and I saw these seven candles. In the midst of the seven candlesticks, I saw one like the Son of Man. He was clothed with a garment down to the foot and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head as his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes were as a flame of fire, his feet like unto fine brass, as if it were burned in a furnace, his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars. And out of his mouth went out a sharp two-edged sword, his countenance was as the sun that shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of hell and death. Write the things which thou hast seen, the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. 
the mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks, well, here's what they are. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. And so when we read in Revelation chapter 2 through Revelation chapter 3, we find the history of the seven churches. And the angels, some say that those are messengers in reference to the pastors of those churches. Others say, no, those are angels that have watched over the church down through the church age. That these seven churches represent seven literal churches that were in existence at that time. But in a prophetic type, they picture the church down through the church age, through seven various periods of the church age, where there are seven angels that are appointed over the churches to watch over them and protect them through the church ages. And God has a message for every one of those churches as they carry out that message to the churches. Now, what is interesting is we understand he's, we read, notice, for instance, in chapter 2, verse number 1, unto the angel of the church singular. Then when we get down to verse number 7, he says, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. We see that in every one of these churches. Unto the church singular, and at the end of the message, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. And what is interesting, when we get to Revelation chapter 4, beginning with verse number 1, we no longer read anything about the, the word church until we get to the end of Revelation. And then we read the word church again in Revelation 22, where we again are to pay attention to what he has to say to the churches but in revelation chapter 4 and verse number 1 he says after this i looked and behold the door was open in heaven and the first voice which i heard was as it were of a trumpet and the trumpet said as we read on come up hither and he says in verse number 2 immediately i was in the spirit and I found myself there a, at a throne that was set in heaven. And he was brought before the very throne of God. And then we read about what goes on there in heaven before this throne of God. And we read about these people that are in heaven. And we read in Revelation chapter 5 that these people that are in heaven are made to be as we read in verse number 10, as we already saw in Revelation chapter 1, they are made to be priests and kings. Revelation chapter 5, verse number 10, these people out of every nation, kindred, and tongue were made unto us to be, and has made us unto our God and priest, and we shall reign on earth. So it is very clear that we understand that these 
that are made priests and these that are going to reign with the Lord Jesus Christ here on earth are those that were caught up into heaven out of every nation, out of every kindred, and out of every tongue. Therefore, we understand by very word of definition from the mouth of our Savior that these people are those that make up the church. So we understand very clearly that the church is going to be in heaven at the time of the rapture. And we understand by the very interpretation of the word of God and by the timeline that we are given by the word of God that the things that are hereafter regard the church first in heaven and once God is through with judging them, which we understand there's a bema seat, and the church is brought before the Lord to receive the works that they've done in their bodies, whether it be good or bad, and they will receive a crown for the good and the bad will be burned up. And they will come in their robes of righteousness. And the Bible makes it very clear that those robes are the acts of their righteousness. Depending on the acts of your righteousness depends on how bright your robe will be and how great your crown will be. And we will come with the Lord Jesus Christ and we will reign with him here on earth. We see in Revelation chapter 6 that the events that took place there in Revelations 4 and 5 take place before the tribulation period. For we read in chapter 6 in verse number 1, And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals. Now the seals were not open until the church was in heaven. And the church was there in heaven. They witnessed the Lord Jesus Christ taking the book with the seven seals. And they witnessed the Lord Jesus Christ opening the seven seals. So when the Lord Jesus Christ opens the seven seals, then tribulation begins here upon the earth. This morning in our Sunday school class, we took you to various places in the Word of God to show you that these four... Apocalypse, these four angels, these four writers, as we see over in the book of uh, Revelation, uh, where was it that we went this morning? Revelation chapter 6, we saw uh, the four horsemen and then we went over to Zechariah. And I'm trying to think of where else we went. <laughs> my, my brain is kind of dead right now, but we have my Sunday school notes are somewhere. Uh, for some reason, uh, what was the the Revelation chapter Revela Revelation chapter six and Revelation chapter seven? Why couldn't I not remember that? Revelation chapter seven, verse number one. After these things, I saw four angels. We said that the four angels represent those that control the four corners of the earth, and we talked about a compass and how a compass. Uh, represents the, the whole scope of the planet because you go north and that represents as far north as you can go. And uh, the compass points south, it represents as far south as you can go. And so <clears throat> these four angels that judge the earth are those that are in charge of all the climatic uh, patterns. And they can bring storms and they have the ability to bring earthquakes. They have the ability to bring all kinds of cataclysmic, cataclysmic events here upon the earth. So when the church is raptured up, 
and the church receives her crowns, when the, all of this transpires, and then tribulation period begins here upon the earth. Now, there's something you might want to notice about all of this, and the timeline. What's going on in heaven, we're not sure how long that event will take place. So it could be that when the church is raptured out of this earth into heaven, there could be several months, there could be even a few short years before tribulation begins here upon the earth. But the Bible doesn't say the moment the church is raptured out, immediately tribulation begins here upon the earth. But the Bible does say once the church is raptured out, then God is going to pour out His wrath upon the earth. And it could be that what God does in heaven is in an entirely different dimension where time no longer exists. And so what goes on there could be in just a moment of time compared to what we measure time here upon the earth. And all of this could happen simultaneously as we are raptured out. We do not know. We just know one thing, and that is that once the church is raptured out, God begins to prepare to pour out His wrath here upon the earth. So as we understand from the book of Revelation, from Revelation chapter 6 through Revelation chapter 19, we have events that are going on here on this earth that come from heaven that bring about God's wrath upon the people of this old world. But we also understand that while that is going on here on earth, there's something going on in heaven. During the tribulation period, while all of this is going on, well, there is a marriage supper of the Lamb that we read that takes place in heaven as we come to the end of the tribulation period. Before the tribulation period, there is the Bema seat, as we understand from Revelation 4 and 5, that correlates with what we read over in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. But as we come to the end of the tribulation period, as you go over to Revelation chapter 19 and verse number 1, before the Lord comes to earth, there's a marriage supper of the Lamb in heaven. And there we understand that there are friends that are invited to that marriage supper of the Lamb. So we, we can't help but wonder who those friends are. Are they translated saints uh, that were killed during the tribulation period? Are they... Old Testament saints uh, that are disembodied spirits that have not been resurrected because we know according to Daniel chapter 12 and verse uh, number 12 that they're not going to be raised up until some 35 days after the Lord Jesus Christ comes to earth. And so we're not sure who all these are, but we know that there is a marriage supper and it's not here on earth, it's in heaven. So we read in verse number 1 of Revelation chapter 19, After these things I heard a great voice of much people in where class, saying, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God, for true and righteousness are His judgments, 
For he had judged the great whore, which did corrupt the earth with fornication, and avenged the blood of the servants at her hand. And again they said, Hallelujah, and her smoke rose up forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders, which we understand that makes up the church, and the four beasts fell down. They worshiped God that sat on the throne saying, Amen, Alleluia. And a voice came out of the throne saying, Praise our God, all you saints, and ye that fear him, both small and great. And I heard as it were the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of mighty thunderings, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him. For the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. So there's your acts of righteousness that will be provided to you. Your righteousness will be all veiled in clothing that you're going to wear that will represent your faithfulness to the Lord when you were alive here on earth. In verse number 9, he saith unto me, Right blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. So I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said unto me, See that thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren, that have the testimony of Jesus, worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is, in, is the spirit of prophecy. So now he's in heaven, and he has seen, while he's in heaven, the church being raptured out, the church being brought before the bema seat, the church receiving their crowns, the church casting their crowns before the feet of Jesus. While he's in heaven, he's seen the Lord Jesus Christ walk over to the heavenly father and take the keys, or pardon me, not the keys, but the book that has the seven seals on it. And they have witnessed the church they have witnessed along with John that was caught up into heaven that was allowed to see these future events. The Lord Jesus Christ opening the first seal and he has seen what happens here on earth. Tribulation begins. And he has watched that whole episode unfold here upon the earth that lasts for some seven years from Revelation 6 to Revelation chapter 19. And now he witnesses the church. They are through with the Bema seat. They have received their crowns. They are now judged. Now everything is ready for them to sit down at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And that is what consummates the whole marriage. And they sit down with Jesus Christ at this marriage supper. And once that marriage supper is finished, then they are going to come with the Lord back to this earth to reign with him. He is going to be the king. They're going to be the queen. And he, they are going to reign with him as 
princes and as priests and as kings. We will reign with the Lord Jesus Christ here on earth as the bride of the Lord Jesus Christ. So notice in verse number 10, we read of Revelation chapter 19. He says, I fell at his feet and he reminded me, no, I'm just one of your servants. So he said, I saw in heaven and I saw heaven open. So remember, we're in heaven still. We're not here on earth. The reason I say that, because there are some, and most of those that are some are what we would call those that have that idea of replacement theology or, you know, the, the taking and replacing uh, Christ and the church um, as are taking Israel out of the program and putting the church there. And so everything that we read here really happens here on earth in replacement theology. They believe that church now is here upon the earth and all the Old Testament saints and everyone that's been raised up here on earth are going to come to this marriage supper of the Lamb. No, we're still in heaven. The Bible says nothing about the earth here. The Bible said this was in heaven. The Bible says, and I saw heaven open and behold a white horse and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. And as we move on, the Bible goes on to say, and there was those that followed him. Notice in verse number 14. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses. They're clothed in fine linen, white and clean. If you go back to verse number 8, the church is arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. And we are told for the fine linen in verse number 8 of chapter 19 is for the righteousness of the saints. And so this same group of people are the same group of people that we read in verse number 14, which are now called the army, which is in heaven. They follow the Lord in fine linen, white and clean. But they don't battle. The Lord does the battle. Notice in verse number 15, And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword. So he comes to earth as king of kings and lord of lords. And he reigns here upon the earth for a thousand years. The Bible is very clear about that. When we come to Revelation chapter 20, we are told that the nations will be no more. The Bible says that Satan will be cast into the bottomless pit. And for a thousand years, the Lord Jesus Christ will reign here upon the earth. That's called the millennial reign. Notice in verse number four of Revelation chapter 20. And I saw thrones and they that sat upon them and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for uh, the word of God. And which had not worshipped the beast, neither the image, neither had received the mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. So Satan is bound. He's cast into a place called the bottomless pit. But after the thousand years is almost concluded. We read in verse number seven. 
So when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth. Now that is amazing. Christ has reigned here upon the earth, but mortal people will still be here. Christ will not be reigning over just those that are saved, and those that are in glorified bodies, but he is also going to be reigning over those that are alive at his coming that remained in mortal bodies. And many of those will live throughout that entire thousand years and not die. And while they live for that thousand years, they're going to have children. They're going to have uh, children that have children and they're going to have grandchildren. They'll probably live long enough to see great, 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 great grandchildren. And so <clears throat> Jesus Christ will reign over them with an iron fist. There will be temple worship to remind them that Christ at one time came into this world and he was the true lamb that died for them. And so they will bring offerings like they did in Old Testament time to the temple of God there in Jerusalem. And every year they'll be required to come to Jerusalem and offer up those offerings. And every year they'll be reminded that Jesus Christ is their Savior through those sacrifices, just like they were in the Old Testament times. And Satan will be turned loose at the end of that millennium and many of those that are mortals that have lived under the reign of the Lord Jesus Christ, when Satan is turned loose, will decide to follow Satan rather than Jesus Christ. You say, well, why would he do that? To prove that there's no way that a mortal man can ever serve God because he has that same old Adamic nature. You'd have to completely eradicate where he came from for that to happen. You see how deadly that seed is? <laughs> I mean, you could put man in the best of situations back in the garden, allow him to freely eat of all those beautiful things that God has created for him to eat of and, and keep him under the reign and the rule of God and allow him to live a thousand years and bring all kinds of blessings. And because man has his own will and his own, you know, his own volition, uh, it only proves that man has a fallen nature. And many of them will make the choice they'd rather serve the devil than serve Christ. And so they will join in with the devil to fight against the Lord. And God will say, all right, I've proved to all of humanity that mortal man cannot serve me because of his sinful nature. And so God will destroy the earth with all of its sin, with all of its corruption, and he'll make a brand new planet where sin no longer exists. And we will go into what is known as the eternal kingdom. So there you have it in a nutshell. Does that help you any? Did that help you? Or did I confuse you? <laughs> Heavenly Father, we thank you for your wonderful salvation.